Hello and welcome to Alone Together, the podcast that looks at the positive community stories coming out of the pandemic, as well as preparing for life after lockdown. I'm Matt Millard. And I'm Morvan McIntyre. On today's episode, we find out what it's like parenting in the pandemic and take a look at what parenting will look like in the so-called new normal. We've got some great guests coming up on this episode, including my chat with founder of parenting newsletter Lemonade, Linda Moyo, and working mama's co-founder Shalina Begum about the positives and negatives of parenting during the lockdown and how parents really feel about sending their children back to school. And Dan McLaughlin speaks with EDS Foundation Samantha Smith about her experience shielding with her children during the lockdown and why she is reluctant for kids to return to school in September. So first, let's chat to Linda and Shalina. Linda Moyo is the founder of The Lemonade Newsletter, which shares real-life experiences of parents raising children of all ages. Beginning as a support network for lockdown, Lemonade has evolved into a community of parents sharing their ups and downs beyond being stuck at home. And Shalina Begum is the co-founder of WorkingMamas.com, a platform providing support, guidance and empowerment to working mums across the UK. I spoke to both Linda and Shalina about parenting in lockdown and their thoughts on children returning to school in September. So hi, Linda and Shalina. Thanks for coming on to the show. How are you both? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, very well, thanks. Great to be on the show. Now, it's it's been a while since we last discussed parenting on the podcast. In Alone Together Series 1, we discussed parenting during the lockdown with Birmingham Live's parenting editor, Zoe Chamberlain. At that point, it was it was still early days. Parents had had to quickly adapt to their children being at home 24-7, they also had to you know, take on teacher duties, all whilst in this new lockdown that, w- that was uh, you know, a new unknown, um, largely restricted to being at home and, and in many cases having to balance a work life as well. So since then, uh, we've had restrictions in the UK slowly, slowly lifting over time. And we've had announcements from government that primary and secondary schools will be reopening in September if, if they haven't done already. And there is still a little uncertainty around around what that will actually look like. So, Linda, I know at Lemonade, you have conducted a, a survey of over 40,000 parents in the UK, revealing how parents feel about um, life during a pandemic uh, and now sending their children back to school. So I guess there's no better place to start than there. Could you talk us through some of the main findings of the survey? Just to start with, I think that the, the survey, it was of 40,000 plus parents in the UK. But just to make people aware that we did this survey back in May. And I think it's interesting, the results of it um, are very sort of revealing. But equally, I think as the weeks have gone on, people's opinions kind of change all the time on this. And as more things reopen, I think the anxiety of the whole situation lifts slightly Um but yeah, some of the key findings that we that we got at the time, um, one in five parents, that was 21%, said that they'd be happy to send their children back to school whenever it reopened. So um, a small proportion, really, when you think about it. But then in uh, contrast to that, nearly half, so 47%, say they said that they would be happy to wait until September, uh, which is obviously when they are going to be now going back. Um, and then there was 7% said that they would prefer to wait until January of next year. Um, and then interestingly, there was 16% said that they wouldn't be happy for children to go back until there was a vaccine made available. Um, and then I think this is probably the most uh, kind of wow moment that I had when I was reading the uh, survey results. It was 2% of 
respondents said that they'd actually planned to carry on homeschooling rather than sending their children back to school at all, which for me, like, that would just be quite horrendous, to be honest. <laughs> but um, but I can see also that it's weird. At the start of lockdown, I was very much like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get through this? Just got to get through these first six weeks and then hopefully things will go back to normal, which was obviously very much wishful thinking at the time. But even now, which I've lost track of the amount of weeks, to be honest, it's been months Mm-hmm. And I can't believe how far we've come and how we've actually got through this. Um, so it does show that when we have to, you know, just get on with things, we we do. That's that's what parents do. Um, so the fact that there's 2% that actually plan on carrying on homeschooling shows that, you know, they've achieved something there that perhaps um, they didn't realise that they had that in them at the start. I mean, by the sounds of it then, there's a there's a mixed bag of, of feelings. And, and it's quite interesting how you how you've said there that since other areas of life are kind of returning back to normal, then some of those anxieties that may have been there a a month or so ago and and maybe not there or not as present now. Yeah, I think, well, just from a personal perspective, um, I mean, my son is reception age, so he could have gone back to school in June. Uh, We made the, you know, the personal choice not to send him at that point. And that was partly personal reasons really because um he has a medical condition but also I just personally felt that it was just a little bit too soon for us because I felt that uncertainty I just wasn't sure if you know what 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 was happening with coronavirus and where it was going to go so I kind of just didn't want to be the first but as I'm seeing you know shops reopening restaurants reopening people going back to work when we get to September I feel a little bit more relaxed in that I'll know where we are at as a country, mm-hmm. um, whether that be good or bad, but I'll, I'll have a better idea of where this thing is going. So um, I think that's that's where that kind of anxiety has lifted a little bit. Equally, though, you know, further on into winter, I do worry um, about a second wave, but, you know, we can only take it day by day. That's it. We'll have to see how things go. Now, now looking at, um, so looking at uh, Linda's findings there with, with Lemonade, is there a similar feeling amongst um, working mamas, uh, Shalina? Absolutely. Um, the same when the government announced that, um, you know, re- reception kids and year one kids can go back to school on June the 15th. There was a big uproar and a lot of our mums were absolutely not sending the kids back. They were worried about their safety and that anxiety was still there. But over the last couple of weeks, many of those mums who had those early anxieties have actually sent their kids back to school since then because you know on the day they're working mums and they're working from home and it has been hard for them to you know be a mum and be an employee and you can't you know do put 100% effort into both so many of those mums I think um felt like as lockdown was easing they felt more comfortable in sending their kids back and I was surprised actually and um, the majority of mums that I spoke to you know were happy to do that and they don't regret that decision and it makes them feel more comfortable and more confident about sending the kids back to school in September now. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm like Linda, my son's five years old and he also had the opportunity to go back. But I took that personal decision to let him stay home and go back in um, September, mainly because like Linda, my son's also got medical conditions. So um, I've been happy to have him at home, although it's been hard working and looking after a child. Um, you know, we've, we've sort of made it work over the last couple of months. 
and it is getting a bit easier and that anxiety is slowly slowly lifting it's still a little bit there but I'm feeling a bit more confident about him returning in September. Apologies here if I'm stating the obvious in any way but will children be expected to socially distance when they're at schools Um, and if so you know realistically how possible is that to do or to enforce especially with younger uh, children? Yeah, I would say it's impossible with very young children, to be honest. Um, mm. You know, just going off my son's school, I think that they're, from what I've read, they're going to be doing everything that they can, but whilst being realistic, and they've been quite honest with parents about that, because, you know, what would be the point in in trying to suggest that a four and five-year-olds can stay two metres apart or whatever it is? I mean, it's just not at all. They'll They'll be sneezing on each other. They'll be giving each other hugs. It's just the way that they are. Um, and to be honest, I think, you know, in the last few weeks, I've been to the the parks and playgrounds now that they've reopened. And you can just see that there's an element now of having to just let let it go because kids will be kids. Yeah. Um, it's actually something I mentioned in today's Lemonade News letter that I might want to chase my son around with a bottle of Milton, but that really isn't realistic. Um, you know, we're going to be in this for the long haul, so we're just going to have to get used to it. I guess only time will tell then. So, is it kind of down to the schools to enforce you know, various, you know, how they feel about social distancing? Has there been any strict um, kind of rules from government yet on, on that? In, in um, my son's school, um, the whole, so it, um, he'll, he'll be starting year one in September and there's um, two classes in year one, 30 kids in each class and for the 60 kids in his bubble. Mm-hmm. So there won't be any social distancing in his bubble. Um, We've not had any further government guidance about social distancing in schools. I think um, schools are doing their best to make sure that, you know, kids are safe and that their, you know, cleaning has been enhanced. I know that in my son's school, he'll be allocated a chair and desk, and that's where he'll be sit. He'll, he'll be sat mm-hmm. for most of the day, and probably understanding that he won't be able to sit in someone else's desk. So there'll be loads of different rules being introduced in September, which I'm having to explain to my son now so that when he does go back to school, it's not, it will be strange, but at least he's got that understanding initially about, about why it's happening. But in terms of playing with other kids, um, his bubble, it'll be as normal. And, you know, and personally, I'm quite happy with that because I don't expect him to be able to social distance. Um, we've been going to the park quite a bit recently and kids, are just playing as they normally would and I'm not there chasing him with hand sanitizer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just have to let them get on with it because they do need some kind of normality and you know, children thrive off in having you know, playing with their friends and, you know, being out and about and they've had four months of not being able to do that. Then it's time that we sort of let them just be kids as much as they can in the new normal. With the risk of being a little bit negative here, do you, do you think this this COVID generation of, of children who have spent many months now away from schools at home will be at, at any disadvantage compared to previous generations or future generations? You know, will they have fallen behind with any work or or, or even fallen behind with kind of so you know the social aspects of of, of growing up? Or, or do you think that that homeschooling has has been a really positive thing and helped them maybe with more real world scenarios? Yeah, interestingly, um, our survey revealed that fifty four percent of parents are not at all worried, or are only a little bit worried about children falling behind. Um, so that sort of leaves like twelve percent that were extremely worried. So that's interesting, I think. Um, 
Personally, I think it depends on the age of the children. But overall, I think, you know, as humans in the grand scheme of life, it's kind of a relatively short-term disruption that will no doubt have long-term effects that are both good and bad. But I think it's up to us as parents, really, to to try and draw on the positives. Because the way I see it is our kids are a reflection of us and they'll mm-hmm. sense, you know, the worries and the anxiety. So that's kind of something I've spoken quite a bit about. Uh, but I also think it depends on the age, like I said, of the children. And um, it's interesting, I think, as much as, you know, parents like myself and Shalina with little kids, because, you know, I've got a five-year-old and a, and a toddler as well, um, it's been hard work, hard work, you know, physically demanding, running around after these little kids that are just like energizer bunnies. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good thing about that is that they'll just accept the situation that they're in and, and make it as fun as possible. Whereas I think um, for teenagers, that can be a little bit more difficult. And um, yeah, there might be more concerns there. Well, I think even even as adults, we're um, we're reaching a point where you know where it's all become a little bit much. You've only got to look at the the pubs reopening and how busy busy they were <laughs> over, over that opening weekend. So I think everyone's in the same boat. But yeah. Well, hopefully then all, all things are positive by the sound of the, the survey then. Can I just add um, one thing I've noticed? Um, I've spoken to mums whose kids go to private school and whose kids go to state school. And the difference in response from those kind of schools has been totally different. So friends whose kids go to private school, they've had online tutoring via Zoom or similar methods nearly every day of lockdown. And that's not been the same but, you know, for kids in state school. So do you feel maybe kids in private schools might have that slighter advantage of the kids from state schools in that, you know, teachers and head teachers in the schools have been very, very proactive in keeping in touch with the kids, um, you know, teachers and speaking to their class on a daily basis. Whereas, you know, my son hasn't had that. You know, he's had one Zoom call with his um, new teacher and, and that was it. So I feel like, there's a disparity between um, schools in, in, in that area and that's not something that's been um, spoken about. And, you know, I wish, you know, my son's school did a bit more of that. You know, I'm not, I wasn't suggesting it happened every day, even if it's like it was once a week, that would have been great. So there's definitely a difference in then kids, you know, being at different levels when they go back to school in September. Actually, as well, Shalina, the survey really backs up that because um, of those who earned, the, of those that we asked, those who earn the least money were more likely to be very worried about children falling behind. So that kind of ties in with what you just said. Have schools been offering uh, much in the way of resources uh, for parents during lockdown? You mentioned there that that may not have been the case. You know, has it been left up to parents to kind of plan their own schooling and, and work it out for themselves? I've received a lot of information by me email in, um, in a a lot of online resource resources but you know that that means you know me having to plan a lesson for my son using these online resources and you know they were free to use but it meant a lot of planning on my side and when I'm working that just wasn't possible and you know it's gone from in trying to do all that to now just getting my son to read a book books which I had to pay for because you know school hasn't provided me with any and, you know, worksheets that I've had to go online and print out because that was an easier way for me to do it. So, the, you know, there were plenty of online resources the school was sending me, but it meant that I had to then plan a lesson 
and go through those resources is just you know time consuming. I mean, you're working and you've got two young ones at home. That just wasn't possible to do. So, you know, it was just, it was very generic. I'd say it wasn't you know just it wasn't for my five year old. You know, he's got different you know needs compared to other kids. So I took it on myself to do what I can to make my life a little bit easier and make it you know easy for my son and get him to do what he can mm-hmm. without putting too much pressure on either of us so you know but that's come from you know myself you know and, and you know it's meant you know me having to spend money on these books and not getting them from school yeah have you found a, a, a similar findings through lemonade linda yeah um i mean for my for my own situation it, it's, it's exactly what shalina said to be honest like school have been good in a sense that, you know, they've, they've tried, they've done their best within, you know, their own limitations, I guess, but it's, it has very much been, it's, I'd say it's just so, saved me the job of Googling things. That's probably it because ultimately everything that we've been given has then meant that we have to plan it, as Shalina said, really. So it's the same sort of thing. It's very, it's very difficult because you just want to, you just want to make sure or you, you just want to feel like you're doing enough to see them through to the next year, basically. But realistically, you know, how can you do that at home whilst whilst working at the same time? And I think, you know, it's all down to your individual situations at home and there'll be some kids that are further behind than others. But what has given me some hope is that school from the beginning have always emphasised that the kids' men- mental health is more important than any of the kind of curriculum stuff. And that if anything, just focus on making sure they're okay mentally. Um, and that they're happy and healthy and that's it and that school will have a plan when we get back to get everyone back up to speed so I'm kind of you know we've done our best with our kids at home Mm -hmm. but now hopefully in September schools will pick that up I think they've said actually that um they're going to kind of assess in my son's class they're going to assess each child to 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 see where they're up to Um, and they're going to do it in a way where the child won't know that they're being assessed so it'll all be fun and just you know part of the mix of everything yeah. Um, and then they've got a really speedy recovery. I think they're calling it like a recovery program. So um, that'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, that sounds a bit intense, doesn't it? But I'm sure, it, <laughs> I'm sure it won't be. Um, and uh, from speaking to friends of mine that that are parents, um, it was quite interesting to hear that the the main concern amongst amongst you know, friends and family who, who have younger children was that they were more concerned about the kind of social aspect of not being at school and spending time at home, especially if they they lived in a household that was maybe away from the, the children's friends and, and, and so on. So do you think that children, are, are, especially younger children, are excited to get back to school to see their friends and their teachers and, and some familiar faces? Or, or are they themselves maybe anxious about returning to school that maybe some parents are? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, really. I think like looking at my own kids, I know my son is really excited to see his friends. Um, you know, every time I mention it, the idea of it. But then at the same time, we've been in the playground and the park recently and bumped into the odd friend from school. And there was one moment where I said to him, oh, your friend so-and-so's just there. And they both looked at each other like they didn't re- rem- remember each other for a minute. And then it was interesting because after that, they didn't speak. But what they did was just chase each other around the playground, which just showed you how kids deal kids of that age deal with this type of thing you know and their way of reconnecting is not in the same way that perhaps adults would Mm. it's just through play basically so I think we're going to see a lot of that 
I think, again, it's age dependent and parents of teenagers have a totally different experience. Interestingly, from the survey, the older the children, the more likely the parents were to say that things have been great in terms of the kind of anxiety and the mental health impact. Mm. Um, But then again, I just think in what sense have they been great? Like you might view it as your teenager has just got on with their their homework. They've got on with whatever they're doing and you've been able to work from home quite easily in comparison to like me with little children. It's been a real physical struggle. Um, But equally, you know, there's parents I've spoken to of older kids that worry worry about if they're mentally okay because they spend a lot of time in their bedroom on their own on a device for example Mm -hmm. one of my friends who has a teenage son says that her son hasn't even been bothered for seeing his mates even though he can now do that he just hasn't so um yeah i think it's different for different age groups i'm the same here linda as well um my five-year-old has been so he's been happy to be at home but in the same token when we've been to the park and he's seen his friends he's been happy to see his friends as well um, it's definitely been a mixed bag of it um, the last couple of months. Um, I think he was just as anxious as we were during the start of lockdown. But, you know, as things have got back to no, no, normal, normal a little bit, um, he's also been a bit better and he's looking forward to seeing his friends now. Um, I'm not sure about school. He's still a bit nervous about going to school. Um, I think that's because he's also enjoyed being at home with um, mummy all the time as well. <laughs> so I think he's going to miss he's going to miss that in September. It's going to be quite an adjustment for all kids. You know, definitely what Linda says. It all is dependent on um, age as well. I've got one friend who's got a fifteen-year-old son who's, you know, he c- couldn't wait to get out of the house and see his friends. But then her other son, who's seventeen, has been a bit more nervous about being out and about. So it's definitely depends on the family, the kids and the age of those kids as well. I was just going to say, I think my bigger concern actually is um, is my one-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's 19 months because um, over lockdown, he has developed stranger danger, which I don't know if you're familiar with stranger danger, Matt, but it's when like babies and toddlers will not even entertain the idea of an adult that is not their mum or dad, you know. And because he's been in the house with us, for all of these months, I think he's forgotten his nursery key workers. I mean, he's even frowning if he sees my mum, you know. So it's um, that that's probably more of an initial concern to me, although kids of that age adapt really quickly. So I think we'll be okay. Very interesting. So yeah, in, in summary, kind of so many different variables there, largely the children's age uh, is, is what we're seeing is is, is affecting that those different thoughts. I know there was there was findings that a small percentage of of parents would continue with homeschooling. Do you see that in any way being uh, more common than, than what it is currently? Or do you think as soon as schools are open and, and things are in flow, we'll just go back to normal? I think it's like with anything in life, isn't it? Like you, you think, you know, circumstances and big situations, you feel like they, they've changed you, you know, and, and this will have changed us all, you know, to a point. But equally, when we get that normality back, I think people will just fall back into it as well. You know, um, I think whilst the idea of homeschooling might seem nice, um, for most people, it just it's just impossible, really. And and this has been a, a good test of that, really. We've, yes, we've got to this point, but would you want to do this for years and years to come? Probably most people would say no. Although I think what we can take from it, and maybe you'll get a higher percentage of parents saying this, is how we can support school more than we were doing before. Um, because, you know, my son would 
come home from school and then, you know, watch TV, whatever, and have his food. And then it would be bedtime and we'd read stories before bed. And that would be pretty much it. Whereas now I can think of more things that we can do um, outside of school at the weekend. You know, my, my son, I've had him learn in Spanish <laughs> as an extracurricular activity. So I'm going to continue with that. Um, so, yeah, I think homeschooling, um, as we have been doing is not sustainable for most, but there's definitely things we can take from what we've learned. I agree with Linda as well. Um, six weeks into lockdown of homeschooling, I was well over it, and it's not something I personally <laughs> would want to do going forward. I don't know many mums who would like to do that. I think everybody's craving normality and you know, looking forward to September to get get back to some kind of you know new normal. Um, and like Linda, you know. I too have learned new ways of, you know, being, you know, educational with my son. Stuff like, you know, if he's on Netflix and he wants to watch a cartoon, I'll get him to spell out the cartoon. And that for me is him, you know, learning and learning how to spell and reading. So, you know, like Linda, definitely I'll be more involved in what he does in school in terms of his reading and writing and making that more fun. And homeschooling has, you know, helped me able to do that so um yeah I think we're just all craving some kind of normality and a bit of more me time as a mum as well yeah definitely a bit of time a bit of time to yourself where you're not having to play all of these different roles simultaneously I also think another um positive that's come out of this and again this is for me and it, it won't apply to everybody because everyone has different households but certainly those households that have a mum and a dad um I think that the sort of like the balance of the house um, has changed a little bit for me anyway during lockdown in that my husband would often, you know, he'd see the kids briefly in the morning, but then go to work and wouldn't be back sometimes before bedtime. So he wouldn't really see them. And um, whereas working from home and on all of that, he's seen them so much more and has been so much more involved in the schooling and what's been going on. And I think I've quite liked that balance and would like that some of that to continue as well. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, it's probably a different conversation, but with all like flexible working and how employers are going to change because of this, it could be really positive for many parents. I'm just going to quote um, Zoe Chamberlain of, of Brummy Mummies and Birmingham Live, who I, inter- who I interviewed in series one of this of this podcast. So, like I said, it was it was the the very start of lockdown, but one of the things she said that she was trying to encourage amongst her group is the the positive aspect of this is a time yeah with your children that you're maybe not going to be able to get again this 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 long period of time where you can spend with them at home so as hard and as frustrating as it is as it's been at times having to balance so many things it's also a positive that you've that you've as as parents managed to spend all this time with your children as they grow up i i always kind of said that whilst maternity leave was great and you know i was lucky to be able to take most of a year off with both of my kids that's at the age where, you know, they don't do an awful lot as babies. Um, and actually, it's when you go back to work after Matt leaves that they really start to become these characters. And I remember actually saying a couple of times that, oh, it would have been quite nice to have that leave now, now that they're a bit older and, and there's so much more to kind of take in. Um, so, yeah, I agree with Zoe. You know, it, it, it has been, it's been tough, but it definitely has had its positives in terms of spending that time with our kids. And Equally, like for my husband, as I was saying, he um, he only got two weeks off when our sons were born and that's it. So this has really given him the paternity leave that he really wanted, I guess. 
um, perhaps not in the right circumstances. Same here. I mean, I'm ups- it's been tough at times, but I've absolutely loved enjoying enjoyed this time with my five-year-old and, and, and my two-year-old. It's just getting to know them a bit better and doing the kind of things I wish I was doing while I've been at work. And, you know, when you, when you come home and you tell me he's, you know, been out or he's been playing or he's been doing arts and crafts, and often I'd be thinking, I wish I was there doing that with him. So uh, it's been nice to have had that opportunity. And, you know, that's the biggest positive aspect I've taken from lockdown these, these last couple of months. And as much as I say I'm looking forward to going back to um, a new normal in September, I will miss spending that time with him. And that's going to be a bit strange for me not, not having them around. For sure. Well, is, is there anything else that you guys would like to add? It's been amazing um, speaking to you both. It's, um, you know, for, for me as not, not being a parent, it's an, an amazing insight into how life has been over the past few months and, and, and what the thoughts are amongst parents moving forward. So is there anything else that you'd like to add? I've learned to um, relax a little bit around my kids. And um, I think before lockdown, uh, there's always this pressure on myself and, you know, to do well at work and make sure the kids are doing everything they can, you know, swimming, football, um, different clubs. And actually, they don't need all of that. And a slower pace of life has, you know, taught me that, you know, them just being happy and, you know, what they've got at home and the little they've had outside the house during lockdown, that's been enough. So I'm not going to put that pressure on myself to do everything um, in in September and just go with with the flow a little bit more. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, if you'd have asked me at the start of the year if I would have coped without soft play centers being open I would have been like oh my gosh no way absolutely no way like we relied on those at weekends I remember like getting to a Saturday and being like right you know what what time we're going to take them to the soft play get them out of this house and everything and when I look back now I just think wow I, I relied so heavily on other things to keep my children happy when actually what I've learned in this process is all they need is us um, so that is definitely what I'm going to take away from this as much as possible. Um, and, you know, they've said that soft play centres aren't opening yet. It might be towards the end of the year. I tell you, I won't be rushing back. <laughs> <laughs> well, on those really positive notes, um, thank you both for coming on to the podcast and, and good luck with everything uh, moving forward. Thanks. Thank Thanks you. so much for having us. That was my chat with Lemonade founder Linda Moyo and Working Mamas co-founder Shalina Begum. Thanks, Matt. A really interesting conversation there. And we continue to get the perspective of another parent in our next chat. In particular, a parent who's been shielding with her children during the lockdown. Alone Together's Dan McLaughlin spoke to Samantha Smith from the EDS Foundation about her experiences and the dangers of children returning to school for the vulnerable in our society. What What is the EDS Foundation? What work do you do with them? The EDS Foundation stands for Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome Foundation. And that's a condition um, which causes problems with a person's connective tissues and your connective tissues are throughout your whole body. A lot of people have heard of collagen and often Ehlers-Danlos syndrome causes people to have faulty collagen. And that's something that lines the majority of your organs, um, a large part of your body. And when it's faulty, i.e. stretchy, not held together very well, that can cause huge issues. Um, in my case. Uh, following uh, a collision um, with an articulated lorry, I ended up fighting for my life because the, because the connective tissues in my spine and my brain became damaged. 
And um, I had to have multiple neurosurgeries in America. There's not a lot of understanding or care in the UK with regards to Ellis Danlos syndrome. Um, and because of that, um, I, I guess I developed or I acquired a lot of media awareness and support because I had to fundraise half a million pounds to survive. And following on from that, I've turned that support into the EDS Foundation, which is to support and advocate for people with misunderstood and rare conditions such as Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It, obviously, with your condition, it's very, very serious and it sounds like you'd be vulnerable, especially with everything that's going on. What Could mm-hmm. you describe your current situation? Are you shielding what, what's happening at the moment? Uh, yes. So basically, I'm a single parent. I've got two children. Um, they also have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, but that doesn't necessarily put you down as a vulnerable person initially, probably mostly because there's not a lot of specialists who understand the condition in order to flag you as vulnerable, therefore tell you to shield. Uh, in my case, because I'm recovering from neurosurgeries, which involved um, bone marrow transplants and the use of donor tissues, and because I have something else called Addison's disease as a result, um, I do need to shield. I'm considered extremely vulnerable to COVID. So I'm told that I would very much struggle to fight the condition if I was to catch it. Um, And for that reason, we have been shielding now as a family with my carer um, for four and a half months, which means that for people who are extremely vulnerable, we're not even supposed to sit in the garden. You know, our idea of fresh air is supposed to be sitting by the window, staying away from people in our home. Um, Thankfully, we've been able to shield as a family unit. So none of us have been able to leave the house. But that's double. It comes with it, you know, it comes with its own issues. So whilst it means that I can still hug and be around my children, it also means that they are held back and unable to have a, you know, a typical life whilst they're watching the friends go back into community, you know, and, and go back into the shops and things like that. So there's um it's affected us all hugely. Life isn't recognizable at the moment. Well we're talking about sort of that, well, they say it's the return to normality, but it's things aren't gonna be normal again. Um, yeah, the children are the, the government saying the children are going to come back to school in September. What's your reaction to them returning? How does that affect you, and how how does that affect your children? Hugely, um, yeah, it hugely affects us. The the thought of them being fined if they don't go back to school, and unfortunately, my eldest, it's his transition to high school this time. And so he's missed out on saying goodbye to his friends. And, you know, there's a lot of children who won't, a lot of his friends, lifelong friends, who won't be joining him at high school. Um, And that's been very, very difficult for him as they've had the leaving picnics and things like that. And he hasn't been able to join in. Um, Secondly, the thought of him then going into a high school, which is even bigger, and his bubble being 300 people, 300 children minimum, Going from three people in a house for four and a half, five months to 300 each of who are in contact with other people, therefore is, is coming into contact with thousands in essence, is huge. Um, and we're trying at the moment, which we're trying because shielding is effectively paused by the government as of the 1st of August, despite regional statistics, um, you know, whether our risk is still 
better, whether our risk is higher now than it was three weeks ago when we were told to shield, we will be forced back into society as such. And the risk is still there. I have no no more chance of fighting it. You know, and, and when you presented me with this question, I actually asked my children about it, who are 10 and 11, what their thoughts are. Um, and the biggest factor for them is whilst they or we are all desperate to get back to normal and see people that we love and see our friends, and my son very much doesn't want to miss the, you know, that, that change from primary school to high school and the first weeks back, there's a huge fear on their side that they're going to feel responsible if they go to school and effectively bring home a virus which kills their mummy. And that is a huge responsibility to put on young people. Um, and it's not something that I can hugely reassure them of because of our situation being so unique and they're, they're very well educated with regards to health and cross-contamination because of the neurosurgeries and my illnesses that I've had building up to this. I can't, I haven't been able to protect them in a way that I would like to have done and protect, the, I guess, allow them um, a degree of ignorance towards it. So they're aware, as we have tried to go out on walks, on the hills, away from people, keep our distance, wear PPE, you know, we've got the medical three-ply masks. They're aware they might look at somebody and say, well, that's a fashion mask, it's not a, it's not a medical one, and that's not going to help us or... You know, we've had abuse off people when we've tried to walk and we do it in an evening when it's quiet. But I guess what I'm saying is that mentally, psychologically, there's a huge effect. And the thought of being around people, I'm noticing even my children, I notice seeing other people as a threat, as a danger, which is not healthy. So it doesn't help when doesn't help when you're getting abuse from people. That That's, that's awful. How, how does that make you feel? Mm curious personally um I think it's ignorance and and that must be such a lovely thing to have um I'll give you an example so we initially our first of a walk we decided a few weeks back we were going to get up at three o'clock in the morning and go to a local reservoir where hardly anybody will be there and I made it like a bit of a you know an exciting experience for the children because I knew that they'd be They've now got anxiety, social anxiety, and about leaving the house and germs. So we went out and strangely enough, by four o'clock in the morning, people are coming walking around the reservoir and their dogs are off the lead and the dogs are coming to us. And people, a lot of people don't recognize that dogs can be carriers. And that has panicked, you know, my children. And I've said to people, I'm really sorry, but we're shielding and, and that's why we've come up at this time. And like, can you keep your dog away? And we've got masks on, it's quite clear that we're anxious. And um, the response has been, well, then you shouldn't be here or better yet. Just don't leave the house, stay home. Um, And I think things can become magnified as you're stuck indoors and life becomes very monotonous. And we avoid the media, we avoid, you know, the news and things like that. But we're all on social media. And people have very strong views about what's happening at the moment. And I just feel that there needs to be a better education of the fact that with regards to this change, you know, the rules on masks and things like that, why that is coming out now. That's coming out now because the vulnerable are being forced back into society as of August. And we need that peace of mind. Um, But then the government haven't helped because initially they said that masks don't work, which, you know, science says otherwise. Um, 
Yeah, so it's, it's very difficult. There's a lot of contradicting beliefs and I can understand why there's conspiracy theories, etc. and a lack of trust with what the government, you know, their narrative. But um, Ash Shielders, as people who have been told for many months that we won't survive this if we leave the house, it's very scary being forced back out there. Of course, of course. Um, mm. What should the government do, both in regards to education, but also protecting um, vulnerable people? Okay. Um, there's never going to be an answer that's going to suit everybody. I think that there's a strong feeling amongst the vulnerable at the moment that economy is prioritising over our safety or our health. And there is becoming a stronger, I guess, presence of people verbalising this feeling too. Do you know, we can only hold ourselves back so long for you people who are vulnerable, I'm healthy. And not everybody's the same, don't get me wrong. There's, there's some very lovely understanding people out there who are thankfully the majority. Um, but my opinion with regards to what the government could do, which would be helpful, would be to support families who have legitimate concerns and legitimate reasons to shield as a family unit and not completely pause the shielding programme, but to give people the option to continue with it and to have an element of support with that um i.e the food parcels that did come previously which stopped us having to go to the shops versus now you know we would be forced out if we wanted to eat or you know try to rely on um, priority deliveries which don't haven't happened in our household um and then with regards to schooling you know schools and teachers having spoken to them personally have become a more well accustomed to doing a lot of online teaching and my answer would be that the government should give different regions a much stronger element of support in making decisions based on regional statistics but those statistics need to be reliable and I know that they've lost a lot of trust with regards to to that by people um so for example where we live Rochdale the numbers are very high. I think we're the fourth highest in the country. And the risk feels very high to people who are vulnerable. So, for example, whilst these numbers are high, even the children could be educated online until it's safe for them to go back into schools. Um, if we could still receive food parcels until it's safe in this area for us to be going out into the shops rather than a complete halt of all support. I think that that would satisfy a lot of people. And there are many shielders, myself included, who can't wait to get back into normality. It's just a case of we need to ease back into it. Things aren't going to change at midnight and the end of July um, with regards to our risk factors. And we need to ease back into the environment and have people a bit more empathetic about our actions whilst we're doing that. You know, even like an hour a day where shielders can go out and people advise maybe just to try and stay home to give us less risk while we go on our family walks. What advice would you give to other parents? You know, how can they, what can they do to help people like yourself who are shielding? I think it would be helpful if parents educated their children on, and themselves, on PPE, on how to use, you know, how to effectively use um, masks for example, that the fashion masks are not necessarily, or definitely not, as secure as the 
complete my medical grade maths, although they're better than nothing for sure. Um, and and just for everybody to be aware that not everyone's in the same boat. Not everybody's been able to leave the house over the last few months. And for those who haven't, who will be leaving their house as of August, who are extremely high risk, if there could just be a bit more awareness for us and of us, we would feel a bit more secure. I was talking to my daughter last night who's 10 and her main concern is we can control what we do, but not what anybody else does. And as a therapist, you know, I'm constantly reminding them of that. But in this scenario, that almost makes us have to have a heightened awareness and risk assessment no matter what we're doing and where we're going because other people might be more lax with regards to, you know, cross-contamination or their belief in COVID even. Um, so yeah, for us, people wearing these masks makes a huge difference. It gives us a lot more peace of mind as we start to be able to meet with this society. And just for everybody to be understanding of one another and recognise that we've all got very different experiences, which has led to the way that we've approached this. Um, yeah, so... And and finally, if you could send a message to the government, to Boris Johnson, or indeed to the rest of Britain, what what would you say? There's a feeling amongst the vulnerable, i.e. The, the members of society who have been told for many months that we're extremely high risk and have been told not to leave our house. There's a feeling that we're kind of forgotten um, the forgotten shielders, and there's not been a whole lot of, um, I guess, addressed to us by the government, and that naturally, if some people are so far removed from anybody who is shielding or who is in that situation, then they can misconceive things, and they might not be aware that we are now preparing ourselves to come back into society and do the things that they were anxious to do many months ago, which they may have become more complacent about. Um, I think it would be helpful for there to be an increased awareness of us now entering society and how things might be heightened for us, i.e. emotions, you know, risk factors. Um, and, yeah, just just human to human, you know, basic consideration of one another. Um, and I think the problem is for people, fear often comes with, like, aggression you know as its bodyguard kind of thing and that that can often cause a lot of conflict between people and everybody's fearful for themselves in one way or another at the moment um so i think if we could just all try to be a bit more understanding and just be aware that as of august people are now entering the community who have not done for many months who have been told repeatedly that they will die and pressures such as what i mentioned you know children worrying about that they're going to be responsible for a family member's death or they're going to pick something up from their friends. It's there. It's, it's real. I think people need increased awareness of the risk for us, of the way that statistics right now, a lot of people, you know, there's obviously a lot of question over what's reliable and what isn't reliable and what people should and shouldn't trust, but what does still need to be remembered regardless. And I can understand that, that difficulty in trusting the information that's being put out there. But what does need to be remembered is that none of those statistics include the most vulnerable people in society because we've been shielding the whole time. So those at highest risk have not yet been out into the COVID society or a society with COVID. And 
for that reason, we're not included in those stats, so they will be lower right now. And as soon as we're out there, they could well and most likely will increase a lot. And so when people are becoming complacent, that is hugely concerning for those of us who are high risk or who care for somebody who is high risk. Samantha Smith, thank you very much for sharing your story. And I obviously wish you well and best luck with the EDS Foundation. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That was Dan McLaughlin's chat with EDS Foundation Samantha Smith. It is fascinating to get another perspective on what is quite a sensitive subject. Don't forget to check out Samantha's work with the EDS Foundation. And also have a look at shalinasworkingmamas.com as well as signing up to the Lemonade newsletter. So thank you to those great guests and thank you for listening to the podcast. That's all we've got time for on Alone Together. So stay safe, stay positive, stay informed and stay tuned. This has been a laudable production from the newsrooms of Birmingham Live, the Edinburgh Evening News and the Manchester Evening News. You can download Alone Together wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the entire app for iOS and Android. Do you have any positive stories that have come out of the lockdown? Or do you know any local heroes that deserve recognition? Get in touch with me, Matt and Dan by following Laudable on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, or by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts on Instagram. See you next time.